It's a privilege to be here with you guys and, and next week sharing the word and, and getting in it together. A uh, little bit out of the ordinary for Calvary if you're new and we're used to going through a book of the Bible and verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept through the word of God. And uh, so taking a little bit of a, a detour from that, but I figured if, if Pastor Will can go from Daniel to two chapters in Ezekiel back to Revelation, then it's probably okay, and we can jump around a little bit too. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning, chapter four, if you'd like to turn there into this uh, two-week mini-series that we're on or here. Exodus chapter four. As we're getting into our text here in chapter 4 this morning, uh, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the dialogue between Moses and God as the Lord is speaking to him through the burning bush. Uh, That conversation started back in chapter 3. At this point, though, where we're going to be picking up, God has already told uh, Moses that he is the one chosen to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, to lead them out out of bondage. In verse 15 of chapter 3, we read, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, This is what I want you to tell them. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, remember that phrase, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God." But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. So the Lord's telling him right away, I'm setting you up for failure. Um, Not even by a mighty hand. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, they should not go empty handed. Every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So that is what God has told and commanded Moses to go tell the, the people. And, um, we're going to pick it up here in chapter four, where we see Moses' response is kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. What about, what if they ask who they is, who, if they ask who it is that sent you to say that. Like, there's probably some oversight, Lord, right? You didn't think about that, did you? I've, I've got you cornered. Verse one of chapter four. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So right away, after the Lord has told him, this is what I want you to say, Moses questions God again. And I say again because back in verse 11 of chapter 3, it says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he asked this question, and I don't 
by any means think that this was a wrong question to ask. If the Lord, you know, this is a, not an easy task. This is a pretty big responsibility that the Lord has chosen Moses to lead his people out of Israel, or out of uh, Egypt, right? Out of bondage, out of slavery. Like that's not something to take lightly, right? If, if the Lord asked any one of us or Pastor Will or an elder or someone came to one of us and said, hey, I want you to lead this ministry or that God came to you and was like, hey, I want you to do this for me. And our response was like, thank God. It is about time. Like, I have been waiting for you to ask me to do this forever. I'm obviously the best qualified man for the job. I'm glad you finally see it because I've seen it for a long time. Every morning in the mirror, I realize I'm the right man for the job. And now, Lord, you're seeing this too. Thank you for asking me. I would love to do this. If that was Moses' response, we would be worried, right? So this was a good thing for Moses to ask this question of who am I, right? Who am I, Lord? If uh, Charles Spurgeon said, a consciously great man is evidently a little one. The, uh, the problem, though, is that once God, once God answered him, because in the next verse, chapter, or verse 12 of chapter 3, God's first response is, I will certainly be with you. Once God answered him, everything else that happens is just doubt and unbelief on Moses' part. That should have been where the conversation ended. It should have been, who am I, Lord, that you chose me and God says, I'm going to be with you. This is what I want you to say. And Moses should have been like, cool. Like, I'm down with that. <laughs> I can do that. I trust in your word. And as I mentioned, remember that phrase in verse 18 when God says, then they will heed your voice. They will do it. He had already told them that it would happen. If he was just faithful to obey and say the things that God had told them, they would heed his voice. Everything else has just been unbelief and doubt on Moses' part. And even though we've come thousands of years from this encounter between Moses and the Lord, in my limited perspective of humanity, it really hasn't changed a whole lot. The question for us is always going to be, is our confidence in our flesh or in the Lord? Is the word of God still enough? Is it enough for us to hold on to? Jesus himself said in John chapter 4, verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Then in John 12, verse 37, about Jesus, it says, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. Seems kind of, kind of contradictory. I'm going to show you all these signs and wonders so you know exactly who I am. And then a few chapters later, y'all have no idea. You don't even believe me, even though I'm doing all the things that you asked for to prove that I am who I am. And so what that tells me and what that should tell us and say to us about our faith is that living the Christian life is possible solely through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a total yielding to the Holy Spirit and a complete submission to the authority of his word. That's it. It's not about chasing after signs and experiences because those things will never satisfy. They will never be enough. It wasn't enough for the disciples as uh, one One woman told me this morning, uh, her old pastor used to call them the disciples because it should have been very obvious, you know, but they still didn't get it. I'm glad she told me that. I wasn't planning on using that. That worked out. But that's who we are, right? We're we're like, Lord, we're always struggling with, is is his word enough? We want more. Show me what you can do. If I would just, you know, put this fleece here and it would be wet, I would obey. If the ground would be wet, I would obey. The truth is, we probably wouldn't. We have to rely on his word. His word is enough. 
Although sometimes in, the, in God's grace and, and mercy, signs are necessary and he works these things, these supernatural moments around us to bless us and encourage us and keep us going, you know, to show that he is working. Um, because God knows our, our frame and our, our frailty. He knows that we are dust. I mean, he created us, so he gets it. And I think he understands very well that I'm, I'm sure, hopefully I'm, most of the people in this room can probably relate, that it's hard to walk by faith. It's hard. Like, walk by faith, but not by sight. Um, yeah, but why do, I, I can see things, though. Why would I want to walk by sight? It's hard to walk by faith. Well, there's a, there's a blessing that comes with it. Scripture is clear. You know, and it, it's why uh, I said I won't get, steal any of it. Pastor Will is going to go into the book of Ephesians. I won't steal anything from him. Um, but it's why the angels are kind of, if you understand the, in, in Ephesians, that, that passage there, the angels are kind of amazed at our faith because we have a different relationship to God than they do. We walk by faith. They don't. And so we're an example to them, even, which is a crazy thought, that they're looking at our life to see how to relate to the Lord in a different way than they do. It's hard to walk by faith. But he gives us those moments, these signs and experiences to bless us, but should never be the foundation for what we're pursuing. We're pursuing Jesus, him alone, knowing him better, founded on his word of truth alone. But Jesus help our unbelief, right? In those times where it's hard and it's struggling and you're like, why is God silent? Why aren't you speaking, Lord? Just give me a sign. And he says, I give you my word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, so we press into the word even more. But we ask questions like Moses. So he's essentially asking here like, you got anything else <laughs> to convince them? <laughs> like, your word's great and all, but I'm still just a man, you know? And what else do you got in your arsenal of miracles and things? How you want to work? Please, Lord, please give me something else. And God's reply is something that I really love. In verse two, when the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? As if God didn't know the answer, right? Don't you love God's rhetorical questions all the time? As if he didn't know. It's not like he was like, what's that in your hand? It's not a sword, Gabriel. I told him we had to have a sword. Like the script says, it's a rod. I don't know, God, you said it's a sword, but stick. It's not a sword. No, God knew. And the, one of the re reasons I love um, God's rhetorical questions so much is because I can relate to that. Cause, and as a parent, you can probably relate to asking rhetorical questions of your children all the time. And uh, if you know my kids and you know the story, if you don't, I'll be happy to tell you because I'm happy to embarrass my kids. No, um, but I should not have to ask my daughter, do we spit in people's faces? Like, no, we don't do that. It's a rhetorical question. I shouldn't have to ask that, right? But the Lord asked these things for our benefit, not for his own. He knew it was in his hand. Thankfully, she answered the right way when I asked her that. But he asks him, what is that in your hand? And Moses responds, a rod just a stick, nothing else. And as I'm reading this, I picture as Moses is holding the rod in his hand and he, and he looks down at what's in his hands now, just a stick, this rod. He was a, a shepherd who had been faithfully tending his father-in-law's sheep for the past 40 years up to this point. And he's holding a, a rod, a staff, a shepherd's staff, with just a stick in his hand. That same hand used to be wrapped around a scepter in Egypt where he used to rule and reign when he was a prince. 
where he had education and power and armies and wealth and authority. Now he looks down and now it's just holding a stick. Seemingly nothing compared to what he used to have. And God asked him so tenderly, for Moses' own benefit, what is that in your hand? So tender. Reminding Moses of how faithful he had been. Showing him, I've spared your life. You're here now. I've provided for you. I've given you a family and a job for 40 years. I've taken care of you every step of the way. What's in your hand, Moses? Moses responds, a rod. And if I'm Moses and all the emotions of thinking back to what my life used to be like, like as I look down at the stick in my hand, you can almost hear the, the pain of regret, of remorse of how did I get here? How did I, <laughs> I made this mistake? How am I even in this position now where I've just been talking to sheep for 40 years when I used to be a prince of Egypt? And I believe it's easy for fall for us to fall into the same line of thought ever so quickly. Why am I still in this place, Lord? Why won't God give me other things to do, other ways to use my talents to him? Why am I still stuck here? Why is it that when we used to have more and now we have less and we're struggling, why did God bring us here? We were so confident that we, we knew the Lord wanted us to make this decision and now we've made it and now I feel like he's abandoned us and he's left us. How have we fallen this far? This can't be all that God has for me, right? This stick in my hand, it can't be it. This can't be the answer. I can encourage you here this morning if that's what you're going through. Your tending sheep years are not useless in the eyes of the Lord. They are completely useful and they are preparing you for things that can be used to bring God's glory in greater ways than you can probably even imagine because you're just not ready yet. You're just being prepared. And your responsibility is to just be faithful. Keep tending the sheep with what you have been given. Keep being faithful with what the Lord has given you. And if you will surrender and be faithful, I'm sure the Lord will use it in ways that you can't, can't imagine or in ways that you didn't even think were possible. You thought it was one way and the Lord's like, no, this is why I have you doing this. And for Moses, it would be easy to think, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Like after, after all of this, after 40 years and being, just being a shepherd and coming from being a prince of Egypt, all, this is all I have to offer, Lord. I just have a rod. What am I supposed to do with this? What could I possibly do with a stick in my hand? And God answers very quickly and tells him, cast it on the ground, verse three. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. The phrase casted in Hebrew is talking about throwing or flinging. So I'm, I'm picturing this and I'm a visual person. So I'm not just saying, I don't see Moses just being like, Plunk, and it like drops it at, at his feet or something like that. There's some authority to this throw. It's like a, you know, and something and, and it just turns into a snake. I was thinking about it. It reminds me of like those uh, popper things you get for 4th of July where you throw them at people's feet and you don't just like chuck them there. You're like, and you're here and watching them jump. You laugh because you've all done it. Or been on the receiving end of it and been in pain. And it says he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Not like a serpent. It didn't like just become a soft stick that was flexible, right? Like the actual DNA biology of the stick changed to it became a serpent. And our big strong shepherd fled. Moses fled from it. And I get, you know, everyone's got their fears. 
Um, I don't have a fear of snakes. I used to have snakes as pets, which I think is kind of cool. Okay, whatever. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> no. um, we, uh, there's a guy I used to work. I worked in. Uh, I've worked in a kitchen for many, many, many years, and we would have the the pickles that are delivered are in these like 10 gallon buckets, and there's this one guy that was uh, I used to work with who was like the most. He was scared of frogs more than anyone I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I thought, oh, this would be fun. Um, so I caught one one night, and a big one outside. I was still working. It wasn't like I was just looking for frogs. It just happened to be there. Um, so I caught one, and I put it in the bucket. The pickles are out of it. It was an empty bucket. Don't worry. Uh, and then I, I put the lid on it, and I put it where the pickles are stored. So then I asked him to go grab it and have him open it and watch him freak out. Oh, man. Few men have I seen move that fast. <laughs> Grown men. <laughs> so again, I get it. Everyone's got their fears. Um, and seeing a stick morph and transform into a serpent before your very eyes would be kind of intimidating, I would say. But the Lord responds, and he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. First of all, get over here, tough guy. You got you to come grab this. But what strikes me is in this instance... There is no questioning of the Lord. Moses just reaches out and grabs it. And I would, I would assume, based off of how he's been questioning the Lord before, it would be, Moses would be like, but what if it bites me? You know, or something. So he's like, what am I supposed to do now? Because very clearly, he's in this kind of like, I'm going to question everything you say kind of mode. But he doesn't here. There is no questioning. He just reaches out and he grabs it by the tail. And it becomes a rod in his hand. And in this short verse of Moses just obeying the Lord as he's told to reach out his hand, we get to see that Moses is is learning to be stretched and uncomfortable and do the things that seem illogical simply because God told him to do it. Let's be like Moses, amen? The Lord says, this is how they will know that I've been with you, that you, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. By this sign, they'll know that I've spoken to you. They'll know that you have been with me. They'll know that the God of the covenant has not forsaken them, that his heart is still for them. His eyes are turned towards them. How we handle the things God has placed in our hands reveals to the world the same things, that we have been with him. How we handle those things. They reveal to the world that we are hearing from the Lord, that he is speaking to us, and we are obeying what he's saying, and that he is a God who doesn't break his promises. He is a God who is worthy of our surrender to his promises and living our lives in a way that shows God is a God who he says he is. And I want my life to reveal to the world that I believe God is a God who says he is. I want my life to show to the world that when God says he's going to provide for me, it's going to provide, regardless of what it might mean for me financially. I trust that God is a God to provide. And I will seek his kingdom first, as he's told me to do. So as if the whole serpent thing wasn't enough, God goes above and beyond to prove that he is with Moses. Verse 6 Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, 
If they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. As if the first sign wasn't enough, supposedly this second sign is going to be more convincing. Like, if it's, if I'm Moses, I would like to think that seeing a stick transform into a snake back into a stick would be enough for me to be like, God is with me. Like, that's enough. I hope it would be the same for any of us, but the Lord goes above and beyond. And he says, even if they don't believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, they may believe the message of the latter sign. Which, of course, of course, then begs the question, well, then what's the message? What's the message of the first sign? What's the point of the signs that the Lord is giving to Moses? Well, I think the message of the first sign is that if you obey me, Moses, your enemies will be rendered powerless. And we know, we're probably all very familiar with the story, but we know that the enemies may copy and imitate, but they really don't have any real power. The sorcerers, the magicians of the Pharaoh may copy and imitate, but they have no real power. I am the almighty God. I am the one true God. I am the one who is all powerful. And if you obey me, your enemies will be rendered powerless because you will be doing what I have told you to do and I am with you. I think that's the message of the first sign. I think the message of the second sign is if you obey me, what was defiled, what was once defiled and unholy will be made pure and sacred. But, even though these two signs, very powerful, still doesn't seem to be enough to get the full message across. There's still one other thing the Lord wants to say. In verse 9 when he says, It shall be if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, that would be the Nile, and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Again, it's not will become like blood. It's not red food coloring water. It is blood. It will become blood. And so in this third sign, we see a different working of the Lord, taking something that was pure and turning it into something that is foul, but not turning it back again. And you see the pattern, right? The first sign was the serpent. It was a stick. Then it was a serpent, and then it turned back into a stick. The second sign was his hand. Perfectly fine. Then it was leprous, and then it was turned back into his hand, just like his other flesh. The third sign, he pours the water out on the land. It turns to blood, and it stays that way. There is no turning back into water. There is no purifying what is foul this time. And so, if you look at these signs, we can see when he says, even if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, the, two, the first two signs deal with transformation. The third sign deals with judgment. There is no going back. And so the Lord is saying, if the message of transformation doesn't turn the hearts of the people, then maybe the message of judgment will. But the message of judgment was only to ensue if unbelief still reigned even after the message of transformation. Right? That's what he says. It shall be, if they do not believe these two signs, do these two first, and if they still don't believe, then do this other sign. And if you know the story, then you know that Moses had to do all three signs before the Israelites turned and worshipped the Lord. 
So if God is delivering these messages to Moses first, I think there's importance in that because before he performed them in the eyes of the people, these messages had to speak to Moses' heart first. And that's how it must be, right? Before we are to go out into the world declaring the message of the gospel, the message has to affect our life, right? And the word has to have an impact. It has to take root in our life first. And so let these same messages speak to us and to our hearts this morning. One, if you are faithful and obey God, your enemy is powerless against you. Paul wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? What can separate us from the love of God? Peril, sword, nakedness, famine, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God has told you to do something, you do it in power knowing that you are essentially unstoppable and nothing can happen to you the Lord won't allow it to happen to you. And if he does it to happen to you, it's for your good anyway. So just go. What are we waiting for? So if you're faithful and obey God, your enemy is powerless against you. Secondly, the message, if you are faithful and obey God, believe that he can turn what was wretched and defiled into something that is pure and holy. As only he can do. As only the Holy Spirit can do. As only the love of Jesus can do. As only the blood of the cross can do. To save what is wretched and defiled. Like Paul declared as he had that internal struggle with the flesh and the spirit and what I don't want to do is what I end up doing, but what I really want to do is what I end up not doing. And he ends that whole conflict with, by saying what? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Only the Lord, only the cross. Believe that he can turn what's wretched and defiled into something as pure and holy in your faithful obedience to the Lord. And then thirdly, while we are being transformed daily by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, do not lose sight of the fact that judgment is coming. And we just finished studying the book of Revelation. If you went through that with us here at Calvary Chapel Orlando, do not lose sight of the fact that judgment is coming. And as you, as you share the gospel, as you share the love of Christ with those around you, family members at work, and the opportunities that you get that the Lord gives you to share, and you letting your transforming life and words and actions you know, pour out into their life and be used by the Lord to impact the world around you, remember, don't leave out judgment. And not in like a, a turn or burn, hit him over the head kind of way to get him to get right with the Lord. But don't leave out judgment. The Lord didn't leave it out when trying to get the attention of the Israelites. So I think it's important for us too. Because people may not believe the transformation that's right in front of them. And so the message of judgment is necessary sometimes. But Moses goes on and tries to excuse himself from service because he's like that. Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before me nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And I, I love how there's nothing mentioned in the scriptures about how these signs phased Moses at all. Like he wasn't affected by them. It's like these three miracles happened before his eyes and he just reverts back to, uh, yeah, but I know speak good. <laughs> like that's, a, that's his response to, to all of this, what just happened before him. I would be like, wigging out, man. But no, he's just like, I, I can't talk. Neither before, which was a lie, I won't get to that in a minute, nor since you have spoken to your servant, because since the beginning of chapter three, this entire discourse with the Lord, he says, uh, like, these signs are great and all, and if you, but if you really wanted me to be effective and, and people to listen to me, then you really just could have made me a really eloquent speaker. That's his response. That's his solution. And I just, as a, as a kind of a side note here, 
hasn't that become one of the standards for good leaders or effective ministers today? How eloquent they are in speech, charismatic, affluent. Man, they talk good. They speak real good. (laughs) Don't ever... Beautifully smooth, talking, articulate speech is no replacement for a man that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, ever. You don't ever want to confuse someone's following with their faithfulness. Sometimes it means they are being faithful. A lot of times it might just mean they're just smooth talkers. It has nothing to do with being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards wrote the Sinners in the Hands of Their Angry God sermon. Had bad eyesight, read the sermon word for word from his face, barely looking at, at his audience the entire time, and the first great awakening happened. Revival happened because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Had nothing to do with his eloquence. And thankfully, eloquent speech has, is not what qualifies you for service in the Lord, <laughs> with the Lord either. When the disciples were set to gather the, the men for the, like, the logistical side of ministry in the book of Acts, right? And they say, set us aside seven men who are filled with two qualifications, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Kind of goes together, hopefully. But that's it. He didn't say, give us the good speakers, give us the real charismatic folk, give us the people that people really look up to and love. Say, give us the men who are good reputation and are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all it takes. That's who the Lord is looking for. Which means any one of us can qualify. And he says, yeah, I can't, I'm not eloquent. I'm not before nor since you have spoken. I'm slow of speech. That phrase means heavy of mouth. Um, And I say that when he says, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken. I say he's lying about when he says neither before, because in Acts 7.22, Stephen tells us very specifically, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So he's lying. But I, I can understand well, one of two things. At first, it seems kind of, well, not only is he lying a little bit, but there's a little, maybe it seems like there's a little bit of false humility here because we know that Moses, under influence of the Holy Spirit, was the most self-appointed, humble man that ever walked the earth, right? And so I don't think this is an example of false humility so much as it is an example of misplaced confidence, right? That he is, it was his perceived inability to speak versus God's ability to still work through him. Because I can understand like being a prince of Egypt and speech and all royalty and stuff like that, like that type of vocabulary is much different than a shepherd's vocabulary, a Hebrew shepherd, right? It's very, very different. Everyone's kind of got different dialects. People from Florida speak differently than Jersey, than California, than Texas. You know, everyone's kind of got their own thing. And if you hang around any type of people that speak a little differently than you for an extended period of time, you're probably going to start talking like they are. And there's a friend I used to work with. He's from here, moved up to Wisconsin. And last time I saw them, he was talking about a boot and how all the different things that they say. And I'm like, that's not how he used to talk. But he's been up there for a while. And so he's kind of just picked up on it. So I can understand that aspect where he's like, maybe I'm not as eloquent, except he's lying. Because it was his perceived inability to speak versus God's ability to work through him. Praise the Lord, his power is made perfect in weakness, right? It's not the strength. He uses the weak things to put the shame, the mighty. The Lord responds 
verse 11. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I am, I'm the creator of them all. And at first you might read this and say, this seems kind of cruel. You know, well, God's the creator. He makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind. That's not the point of what he's saying. Don't let anybody in the world tell you that God is some cruel God because he creates people to be deaf, mute, and blind. That's not the point of what he is saying to Moses here. The point is, one, since when do physical handicaps disqualify you from service to the Lord? They don't. And that's because, secondly, God is so mighty and powerful that he can even use the deaf, the mute, and the blind to do his will if they're willing to trust in him. That's the power of God. You don't have to be seeing blind, perfect ear, perfect eyesight, whatever, to be useful in the kingdom of God. You could not have any of those things and still have more effect on the kingdom than someone who might be perfectly healthy. That's the power of God. That's what he's saying. I'm the creator of them all. So what's your mouth to me, Moses? I made it to begin with. You think I, you think I can't use it? I'm the one that created it. Romans chapter 9 Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Paul writes, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Who are we to question God for the purposes that he's created us? Who are you, Moses? You think I can't use your mouth? And so, verse 12, the Lord continues. He says, now therefore, go. Stop making excuses and get out of here. And if I was the Lord, that would have happened a long time ago. (laughs) But he says, therefore, go. Stop making excuses. Go do what I have told you to do. Have I not proven to you that I am faithful? Have I not told you from the beginning that I will be with you? What's stopping you? Go. Stop making excuses. And if the Lord would say the same thing to us this morning, is therefore, go. What are you waiting for? Whatever is before you, whatever he has placed before you, whatever he has told you to do, stop making excuses and trust him. Step out in faith. Surrender it. Be obedient. Because he tells him, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. He addresses specifically the one area that Moses is the most worried about. And if God is telling Moses he is sufficient for him, then as the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that same God is sufficient for you and me and whatever he's called us to do. And so you can fill in the blank here. When the Lord says to Moses, I will be with your mouth, you can say, God says to you, I will be with your fill in the blank. Because that's his promise. To never leave you nor forsake you. And so we finally get to the deeper issue that's going on in Moses' heart now. Verse 13 But he, Moses, replied, he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. It's like, finally, now we're getting somewhere. Now we figure out what's actually going on here. Moses' true heart is revealed. It has nothing to do with making excuses. He just doesn't want to be the guy. Send someone else, Lord, anybody. That's what's really going on. That's why he's asking all these questions. His true heart is revealed. And so we realize through this whole conversation it had nothing to do with Moses and his lack of ability. It had everything to do with the lack of willingness. He just simply didn't want to do it. I don't want to be the guy that you use for this. Send somebody else. 
But God doesn't use the able, he uses the available, right? And that's what we're called to do, is just make ourselves available and let him take control of the rest. Our equipping is God's responsibility, not ours. So after he responds to that, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Again, I would have been kindled far back. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. I love what David Guzik said. He said, God was not angry when Moses asked, who am I? He was not angry when Moses asked, who should I say sent me? He was not angry when Moses disbelieved God's word and said, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. He was not even angry when Moses falsely claimed that he was not and had never been eloquent. But God was angry when Moses was just plain unwilling. God was angry when we were just plain unwilling. How useful we are to the Lord has nothing to do with how charismatic or how capable you are. It has to do with one thing, and that is how you are conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. That's it. A willingness to let the Holy Spirit mold you as <laughs> the potter over the clay into who he wants you to be and a willingness to be used by him. God can take your questions. You can ask him all day. You can get angry at him. You can shake your fist at him. But as long as you're obedient, he can deal with that. He's angry when you're just plain unwilling. He even says, I, I, you got your brother right there. I know that he can speak well. If that was who I was looking for, I would have chosen him if that was really a qualifier. Right? I know he's got this great vocabulary. You know he's probably this really affluent guy. But since you think that disqualifies you, I'll have him help you out. I'll have him be your mouthpiece. But there's, we should definitely not read this as a sign of God's approval of Moses' attitude because Aaron became a big problem for Moses later on. And it started here. It says, so he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you. As I put the words in your mouth and I'll teach you what to do and you shall be to him as God. So we see Aaron was the world's first teleprompter. <laughs> Just saying what was told him. God said to the people. <laughs> Anyways. But then in verse 17, he brings it back. And God says, And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. This is the tool of your faithfulness. This is what I've given you. This is what I've placed in your hand to surrender to me. This is what I'm going to use. In your hands, it's just a stick, but in mine, oh, buddy. In mine, this is how you're going to see my power at work. You may see difficulties and impossibilities, but in my hands, all I see is victory. I see a tool to liberate my people from sin and bondage. I see a way for my word to go forth for the purpose for which I sent it. And so the question for us this morning, what's in your hand? Are you being faithful with what the Lord has given to you? Have you fully surrendered that to him? Are you willing to obey him and to let him use it for his kingdom and glory? Is your confidence in your flesh or in the Lord? 
Just imagine the impact that we can have for Jesus when we surrender every aspect of what he's given to us, every little detail. We surrender it to him for him to use. All the tending sheep years that we've endured, we just let the Lord take control and say, use me. This is in my hand. I want it to be in yours now. Our businesses, our jobs, our kids, our ministries, our marriages, our work situations, our relationship, you name it. Every aspect of our lives. Cast it down before him and let his divine power and his spirit envelop every, every corner of it. And then we pick it back up again and we let the Lord lead, we let him teach, we let him speak. And then we get to be blessed by just seeing how he uses us. Regardless of what you may see as disqualifiers, it's exactly what, why the Lord wants to use you. Why we put our confidence in the Lord and not in our flesh, right? So as the as worship team comes up, makes their way up here, we jump down to verse 20 after this encounter when it says, Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. And here it is. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. It's not just a stick anymore. This is the rod that would part the Red Sea, that be raised over battles for victory, that would strike a rock and water would come forth. It's not just to stick. There is power and boldness and confidence that the Moses says, I am here for this purpose. What is in my hands is now surrendered to you, Lord. It's not just a rod. It is God's rod. And he's going to use it. He was, Moses knew he was there for that purpose. And he struggled. But the same is true for every one of us. We have something in our hands we can surrender. This is God's business. This is God's marriage. This is God's job. This is God's friendship. This is God's relationship. Work in it, Lord, and use it for your glory. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, people like Moses, who I can relate to so well in understanding the questions and the doubt. Lord, thank you that even in the midst of that, you still desire to use us for your kingdom. Sinful, failed, and frail that we are. We worship you for that, Lord, and we surrender things to you now this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts of an area of our life where we can just bring it before you and ask that you would have your way, that your power would, would go forth and you would use it that did not, would not be in our hands, that we would give it over to you, that you would take it complete control. Lord, we would cast it before you and we would pick it up and we would just be simply willing and obedient to the things that you tell us to do in your word, Lord, but also specifically what you have for us in the spheres of influences and in our lives and our families that you have called us to, to lead and impact and be a light in. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, put these things on our heart, and even now, as we worship and surrender them to you. Thank you for your love, Lord. We worship you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.